Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Faith. What is it? Being sure of our hope. Convinced of what we can't see. By faith, we understand the world was set in order at God's command. By faith, Abel offered God a greater sacrifice than Cain, and for his faith, God commended him as righteous. By faith, Noah trusted God and constructed an ark for the deliverance of his family. By faith, Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac, his only son, believing God would still fulfill his promises. By faith, Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy sin's fleeting pleasure. By faith, God's chosen nation crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and praised him as it swallowed up the Egyptians. By faith, Rahab the prostitute escaped destruction because she welcomed the spies in peace. Time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, David, and the prophets. By faith, they administered justice, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire. But others were imprisoned, murdered, and wandered in deserts, mountains, and openings in the earth. We are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. So get rid of every weight, of every sin, and run. Run with endurance the race set before us. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He is the champion and guide of our faith. For promised joy, he endured the cross, thought nothing of its shame, and having risen again, has been handed his deserved glory at the right hand of the throne of God. That is so well done. We're looking at Hebrews eleven thirty-two through 12.2, but a foundational to our sermon today and to the chapter is the first couple of verses. Hebrews 11 begins with the words, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. When you have faith, you just know something. God has spoken to you. You know what God's will is. It's not something you conjured up on your own. You have a word from God to you specifically. Not because you read somebody's book or listened to a tape a thousand times, but you heard from God. And so in spite of the storm, in spite of the circumstances, you have a substance of that which you're hoping for. And by this dynamic, this reality called faith, the elders, our forefathers, the ancients, the ones that have gone before us, obtained a good testimony. Literally says they have a testimony. The word there means a witness. And then he goes into talking about them. We'll look at their names here in a minute. And verse 32, and what more shall I say? He lists some others here. For time would fail me to tell of Gideon 
and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, also of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. You've got Samson, you got Daniel. Quench the violence of fire. You've got the three Hebrew children. Mishael, Azariah, I forgot the first one's name. We know them by their Babylonian names generally. Escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Yes, heroes, right? Champions of the faith. But included with that are those saints whose lives didn't go so well. Next verse, the end of verse 35. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. This book, Hebrews, is all about better things, greater things. Jesus is greater. His covenant is greater. His ministry is greater. Our position in him is greater. And the resurrection he gives is greater than the resurrections experienced before him. Everyone raised from the dead in the Bible, glorious story. Women received their dead raised to life again, but others didn't. Waiting on a better resurrection. How is their resurrection better? Well, everybody that's raised from the dead up to this point outside of Jesus had to die again. You may know a guy that's been raised from the dead, and it's awesome. Maybe you've been raised from the dead. And it's awesome. But sure the Lord tarry, your earth suit's going to wear out. <laughs> You're going to have to die again. Well, doesn't the Bible say it's appointed and a man wants to die? Yes. That's the minimum. <laughs> but the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's the better resurrection. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Amen. Amen. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, and can you say martyrs? of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All these having obtained a good testimony. Look back up at verse 2. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. All these listed from verse uh, where he started there, talking about the heroes of faith all the way until verse 38. All these having obtained a good testimony through Faith did not receive the promise. They all died short of receiving the ultimate promise, which is the new covenant. God having provided something better, there's that word again, something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Every weight. 
you know, in track, they'll run with these little two-and-a-half-pound sandbags on their feet in training. But when it's race day, those weights are coming off, aren't they? And in life, we have weights that we carry, burdens that we carry, but we're to cast all our cares on the Lord. Oh, what grace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. An old song says, cast all your cares on him and cut the line. Fishermen know what I mean. Throw it all on the Lord so you can run without those rates and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And when you read that, you may think, oh, what's the sin that easily ensnares me? Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's envy. It's all based on one sin, though, that easily ensnares us all. The sin of unbelief. Oh, that might be good for you, but not for me. When you're tempted to envy, you don't believe your father has what's best in store for you. And you're tempted to look at others and compare yourself. I got gypped. I got, if you're a gypsy, I'm, I apologize. I got taken. <laughs> the Lord short-suited me. You're comparing yourself. You know, the world is suffering with comparison like never before. I understand something has happened to the youth of this nation that statistically they can trace, trace teenage depression all the way back to 2008 where it took a jump. What happened in 2008? Social media was already present, but in one day over a million people downloaded the apps for Instagram. Not blaming Instagram. I'm just saying that's where all this stuff began and counselors are overloaded not knowing what to do about it. Parents, let's protect our kids. Youth, never, never compare yourself to anyone. You are unique and wonderfully made and God made you the way he wanted you. Stop wanting to be somebody else that you're not. Get rid of envy, get rid of jealousy, get rid of comparison. Get rid of the apps for a while if you have to. If you feel yourself not feeling good about yourself, our beauty comes from the Lord. If you're just like everybody else, you're a cartoon. People are doing things to their bodies, turning themselves into fake, fakeness. That's not reality. I wasn't planning on saying this, but um, it's there. It's unbelief. You don't believe the Lord loves you as much as he does. He so loved you, he gave his only begotten son to redeem you and I and make us one with him so that we can move forward in our calling. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. How do you run with endurance? You just don't quit. There was a race for a few years in Australia. It was 544 miles long. And a potato farmer entered the race, 
he was a long-distance runner. I mean, he's become the legend, and they've stretched tails and said that he ran in rubber boots and all that. It's not true. He ran in appropriate running gear. But no one told him the normal runners would run for 16 hours and then rest for six hours. 16. He just ran straight through over five days. Beat the number two place by over nine hours. He didn't run fast. They kind of made fun of him. He kind of ran with a shuffle. You can Google him. I can tell you his name later. I don't remember it right now. <laughs> he ran with endurance, just didn't stop. Nobody told him, hey, it's 16 hours. He just ran. He used to chase his sheep for days. So how do you run with endurance? Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I ask you, Lord, to speak to us in such a way that we are encouraged to walk in your will and that we set unbelief on its way out of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak to you today on heroic faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is normally called the hall of faith, but it's just an example of the heroes of faith in the Bible. There's more people than listed. Uh, I believe that Hebrews was probably a sermon preached live. Someone took notes and wrote the book. And so as he said in our text, time fails me to speak of these other people. He's in an urgency for time. Paul, if he, if he preached it, could preach for a long time to the point people did fall asleep and one fell out of a window and had to be raised from the dead. The foundation of chapter 11 is chapter 10, verse 38, the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition or destruction, but of those who believe, can we say believe? Believe, believe to the saving of the soul. Heroic faith. Can we say heroes? This picture will have meaning later on. A faith sandwich. Heroic faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 begins, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it, what's the it? Faith. The elders obtained a good testimony. And he goes on and lists these people, Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea, the Israelites marching around the walls of Jericho, and Rahab, the prostitute, who was redeemed from her situation by a scarlet cord that she hung that identified her place of residence, he and her family. She wound up in the lineage of the Messiah. And then in today's text, we saw Gideon. He was used mightily to overcome through a series of miracles the Midianites. And then Barak, he overcame the Canaanites. He, in conjunction with a prophetess named Deborah, saw a mighty work. For the sake of time, he didn't name Jael, who was a young lady at the time, who allowed the uh, leader of the enemies of Israel during the time of Barak to take a break and hide in her tent. 
She fed him some warm milk. He fell asleep. She took a tent peg and drove it through his temple. Took him out. Woman did that. You say warrior. Samson. He wasn't perfect, but he was used mightily and did more damage to the Philistines in his death than he did in his life. Jephthah, the son of a woman of ill repute, used mightily to help Israel overcome the Ammonites. David, we know the story of David. And Samuel, the prophet priest who anointed David to be king, who uh, did wonderful things by faith. The prophets from Isaiah to Malachi were amazing men of God who did things mightily. Women who received their dead back to life again. We, we mentioned Rahab. We mentioned Sarah. We mentioned Deborah and Jael. But uh, uh, these men that were married had wives. Uh, David had too many wives, but they had... <laughs> there were women of faith in this story. They're in there. Others didn't name them, but talked about all that we just read, about all that they went through. And then still others. And there's still others are those people that didn't get raised from the dead. Those people that were tortured for their faith. Those people that God enabled to endure horrors. The Maccabees are in there. He didn't list them, but they're part of Israel's history. And the, the early church people who suffered for their faith are in there. Uh, people that died at the barbarous Colosseums are in there. They did not recant their faith. And this is happening even in our day. Many sufferers. We have, even in our own midst, people that have great testimonies of things that God did by faith. And also testimonies of those that have gone on awaiting the better resurrection before us. Heroic faith. So, we have a testimony sandwich here. Verse 2, by faith the elders obtained a good testimony. And then he lists all those people, like 22 different people and kinds of people. And all these, who are the these? The elders that he was just talking about. Having obtained a good testimony, there's that word again, through faith did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. The word testimony there is the word matureo. It's a word from which we get the word martyr. It means a witness. It means to testify, to give evidence, to bear record, to have a good report, to be well reported of. So you have a testimony, you're a, mar you're a martyr. Now, in our language, in the history of etymology, the word martyr has evolved to mean someone that has died for their faith. Well, to be a bold witness, you've got to die to self, die to your fear, die to your unbelief. You know, you can't intimidate a dead man. He just lays there, and you can yell at him all day and kick him around, and he just don't change. 
May the Lord make us dead to the things of this world that would hinder us from being the shining lights, the city on the hill that we're called to be hidden. So sandwiched between these two texts about good testimony, martyreo, are these heroes of faith, and we are in that sandwich. Tell somebody, you're baloney. No, I'm <laughs> Pastor, that was cheesy. I know. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the word there for witness is martus. It's related to the word martyreo. It means a witness, a record, a martyr. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Oh, let me say, let me just stop right here. Uh, if you're Catholic, I apologize, but your denomination came up with a teaching based on this verse that is false teaching. You may believe it. It was handed down to you from your spiritual forefathers, but it's just not true. We just read Hebrews 11, talking about these mighty witnesses, these mighty martyrs, these people with mighty testimonies. So in the midst of their testimonies, since we are surrounded, let us run with patience a great cloud of witnesses. You see the point? Since those who've gone on before us have been mighty witnesses, let us move forward. They're not called witnesses because they're watching us. I'm surrounded by a cloud of witnesses and I know Uncle Bob is watching me, so help me run fast, Uncle Bob. No, we win the race that we're in, not by Uncle Bob looking at us, but by us looking to Jesus. Amen. Otherwise, you are imputing omniscience, all-knowingness, which is an attribute of God, to Uncle Bob. I used to have an Uncle Bob, so don't feel like, and he's still alive, so don't feel like I'm picking on your Uncle Bob. You also have to impute omnipresence, which is an attribute of God. Because today I'm going to the store and Uncle Bob is watching me, so I hope I put the grocery cart back in the right place. I'm going to go on vacation. Uncle Bob is watching me. You, you see the ridiculousness of it when you look at it? Those that have gone on before us are not omniscient and omnipresent. Jesus is. Through the Holy Spirit, he is here now. So we're running for him. Well, I don't know if I can be part of that church because I still believe that you can be part of this church. We're just not going to preach that. And I'm certainly not going to harp on it every week. This is the first time I've ever mentioned it in 30 years. But it's there. This is why I love preaching through books. You preach on stuff because it's there. You have to deal with it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, martyreo, martus, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, every good sandwich needs some lettuce, right? <laughs> let us lay aside every weight. Can we say every? Yes. And the sin which so easily, easily ensnares. Can we say unbelief? unbelief? Run with endurance. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Can we say my calling? 
We all have a battle station of man. We all have a unique calling. This is where comparison creeps into the church. Well, I want to have a tent and a PA system and 18 wheelers, and I want to be a healing evangelist like they were in the 50s. Well, if God called you to do it, he'll do it. If he doesn't, all you're going to do is get hot, sweaty, and be swatting mosquitoes because God's not called to back up something he didn't tell you to do. So what's the race he's called you to do? Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who remembers when you first began to drive? Who's looking forward to remembering when you first began to drive? So when you first begin to drive, you want to be careful to stay in the right lane, right? Want to stay in the right lane. And when you turn, you don't want to get out of your lane. You don't want to do what they call cut the butter, you know, cut the corner short. But if you focus on the lane right next to you, it's not going to be good. You got to focus on the road out ahead of you. This is why we look to Jesus. He's out ahead of us, spurring us onward. He'll keep us in our lane. He's the author that is, the one who started our faith, and the finisher, the one who will perfect everything that cons- concerns us, the one who began a good work in us, will complete it. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is faith's ultimate hero. And here's the big point of the sermon today. Look into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. So in his trial, he is sandwiched between the future reward, which was not yet, and the present trial, the cross, the shame. He did not enjoy it. He despised it. He endured it. When you're in a trial, you're living between the now and the not yet. That's why you got to keep your eyes on the prize. Amen? And it's set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So between the right hand of the throne of God, which was Christ's reward, was the shame and the cross. You see the double sandwich here? This is the club sandwich. Joy set before him, right hand of the throne of God, the cross to endure the shame. We had a wonderful lady who was part of this church years ago who painted amazing pictures of Jesus. To me, this was a masterpiece that she did, and she gave it to me. It's in our home. I see it every time I come in the front door. I see it every time I leave the front door. Look into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The red to the left is what he's having to endure. The gold To the front of him, to the right, is the joy set before him. The position at the throne of God. And on the cross, he went through the shame, the pain, the suffering, the temptation to have unbelief. He went through it for us. Why? For us. For the joy set before him. While praying, Father, if there's some other way, can we do that instead of this? You see it? That is the principle of every victorious saint of God. Here's a new hero. She's just been discovered in the last 10 years. She's been virtually unknown. Lilius Trotter. 
when she was 34 years old, she was becoming an up-and-coming artist in England. Her watercolors are stunning. When you Google her sometime, not right now, to look at her artwork, it's just amazing. She was destined to become famous. She was single. She had heart, a heart condition, but she loved the Lord. She became part of a revival that swept through the land of, of uh, the British Isles called the Higher Movement, the Higher Way Movement, and uh, was a counselor during the altar calls at Dwight L. Moody's crusade when he came to the British Isles. She was involved in the YWCA and helped build the first restaurant for women in London. Up to that point, a woman wasn't welcome in restaurants without a man. And so if they went to work, they'd have to eat with their lunch in their lap, sit on the ground or whatever. And so she was part of just doing some amazing stuff. But she was concerned that she did not have a heart for missions. At the age of 34, God called her to North Africa. She applied to various mission boards. None would accept her because her health was, was not good. She was a woman of means, so she financed her own way with two friends who also had some finances, and they moved to Algeria, to Algiers, Algeria. And although it was hard, they learned Arabic and began to reach out to the Muslims. And Algeria at the time had this dynamic going on in their culture. Girls were the property of their father up until they were 12 years old, and then they were married off into becoming the part of some man's harem. When women got older, they became undesirable, and the husband stopped paying attention to them. And so Algeria was just filled with unhappy older women. She began to reach out to them and to their children when she learned Arabic using her artwork and writing stories and tracts. She did some really unconventional things that if I got into, you might could argue, but she did some really creative things that were effective. She had scripture readings in a cafe that she developed with uh, rhythm and the Arabic drums. Sounds kind of cool. Uh, she went there in 1888 and died in 1928. She served for 40 years. When she died, there were 30 missionaries left behind that served in her organizations that she developed. 13 ministries that she developed were operating. Everything from a school to teach women crafts and trades that if their husband died, they had a means of supporting themselves. Uh, teaching children to read and write. Just needs in the community that weren't there, a cafe, uh, other stuff. She just sought to be used by God all the while having poor health. But she used her administrative skills. She journaled every day, wrote poetry every day, and did artwork almost every day. So her journals are filled with sketches that are just amazing. What, what a hero of the faith. And she wrote a, a booklet called Focus that was translated into English. And it has this statement in it, turn your soul's full vision on Jesus. And look, and look at him. And a strange dimness will come over all that is apart from him. And the divine attributes by which God's saints are made, God's holiness that makes us holy, sets us apart, will lay hold of you. 
Someone saw this, and a poem was inspired, which became a song. Helen Limmel wrote this song based on what she read, written by Lilius Trotter. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see? There's light for a look of the Savior and life more abundant and free. Through death into life everlasting, he passed and we follow him there. Or a sin no more has its dominion, for much more than conquerors we are. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Let's sing the chorus if you know it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father, give us eyes to see Jesus as a champion of our faith, as the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, that we would walk in faith, that we would put unbelief to flight, Lord, may we recognize our greatest enemy is our own heart if we yield to unbelief. Lord, help us to be people that lay aside those things that would trip us up and pursue you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would loosen every snare, every rope, change every life. Lord, if there's relationships that we got to let go of because they trip us up, from pursuing your will, Lord, help us to make room for Jesus in those relationships. To separate ourselves from those things that are not your will for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Lord. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found Was blind, but now I see Hallelujah Christ is risen from the grave Hallelujah Christ is risen from the grave The prodigal is welcomed home, the sinner now a saint. For the God who died came back to life, 
And everything has changed Hallelujah Christ is risen from the grave Hallelujah Christ is risen from the grave Oh death where is your sting Oh fear where is your power The mighty King of kings has disarmed you Delivered and redeemed Eternal life is ours Oh praise His name forever Hallelujah Christ is risen from the grave sweet embrace I see your scars your opened arms the beauty of your face through tears of joy I lift my voice in everlasting praise hallelujah Christ is risen from the grave hallelujah Christ is risen sweet embrace I see your scars your open arms the beauty of your face with tears of joy I lift my voice in everlasting praise hallelujah Christ is risen from the grave hallelujah Christ is risen conclude by reading you something speaking of sandwiches 
<laughs> You're living between the trial and the triumph, right? Our awfulness and his awesomeness. The beastly and the beggarly, beautiful and the beauty. Crises to Christly. Defeat to dominion. Are you sandwiched between the effects of our sowing and the effects of his mercy? Are you sandwiched between being fooled and being formed? Between the gory and the glory? Between human horror and the holiest of holies? Between man's ignorance and God's integrity? Between judgments made and justice served? Between killings by the thief and kindnesses of our Redeemer? Are you sandwiched between lies and lying and life and living? Are you sandwiched between a mess and a message? Have hope. There's a message coming out of this mess. Between the now and the not yet. Between our old ways and his one way. Between being pained and being paid. From quivering to quickening. From being really wrong to being really righteous. From shaming to shining. From test to testimony. From trial to triumph. From the ugly past to our ultimate future. From worry to worship. From being a victim to being a victor. From the excrement of sin to the excellence of him. From our youthful yuck to yielded and yoked to him. To the zoo of sin's consequences. To zeal for Christ's consciousness. Lord, let us move forward. Don't stop. If you're going through hell, don't stop. Keep going through. Amen. It shall come to pass. That's in your Bible more than once. And it came to pass. This will come to pass. You are more than a conqueror. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the original language, that's shalom. That's wholeness. That's victory based on conquest. We fight from a position of victory, right? Amen. Not on compromise. Go get them, Tigers. God bless you. Hallelujah. Christ is risen.